So, yeah, I slept about four hours last night, split into three segments each of, like, one and two-thirds of an hour. Oh, I'm sorry. Or one, one, and, one and a third hours. I also can't do math, so that's another... It could be a symptom. Uh, ...aspect of the allergies. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Let's hope. Are you, are you recording yet? <laughs> oh, hell yeah, I am. So we can use that snot stuff. That's gold. <laughs> crazy week since the last time we talked when we spoke about audience. Oh my god, you're so funny. (laughs) We are bending time and space. Uh, Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Oh, this one's mine, isn't it? I have to talk about my topic. Crap. It's gonna be great. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, as you know, I don't actually have one this time. Hold on. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, My Flow is Over Here. For complete show notes, including links to anything we mention on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash eight. What would you say is the smallest amount of time you can get any of your work done in? Whoa. Um, so I'm really bad at this. Um, I do this um, in would you rather scenarios too. Can I ask clarifying? <laughs> can I ask clarifying questions? You sure can. Do you mean a discrete task of a project that's within my work realm, like us? Well, thing? I think. I think you're being helped by the fact that you already think a little bit about your work beyond what a lot of people do. <laughs> so you oh, ask questions like that. Oh, you should like have that. primed me. I'm not a um, big guinea pig. No, yeah. that's that's quite all right. That's, that's quite all right. It's a, um, it's a fair question. Let's just let me just let me just see if I can rephrase the question in a way that makes it answerable without actually going into um, the minutia of how you handle your your projects okay. and break things down. Um, what is the what is the smallest unit of time that if you're randomly presented with it in a time that you, you know, are in a place where you could do work, you would have anything typically that you could get done in it. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm not going to count email. Um, okay. What's jumping out for me. And I, I still don't know whether or not it's a trick question, but I love school and I, oh, it and, really I isn't. and I want to really answer isn't. questions. Um, <laughs> mostly just narrating my inner monologue. Um, so I'm going to go with 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay, that's actually a pretty good answer. That's, oh, good. That's kind of on target with what I what I want to What's say. What's my grade? Um, and and here's my here's my follow up question to that. Would you say in almost all circumstances, if you're presented with 20 minutes of time, and say even you've been presented with a lot of little 20 minute windows lately, are you always going to have something you could move forward in that amount of time? <laughs> oh hell yes. <laughs> okay, fabulous. Um, what I want to talk about is um probably already fairly obvious and that's how much time it actually takes to get anything done um and i'm i'm hanging this on a couple of different things that i'll I'll introduce in brief and they will be in show notes um if anyone wants to uh follow along at home uh the first one is an article from july of 2009 by paul graham called maker's schedule manager's schedule Hmm. Um, which was uh, kind of an internet sensation among productivity types and programmers uh, because he he talks, um, Paul Graham does in this essay, about 
two different types of time at work, um, <laughs> which of course are, you might have guessed from the title, the maker's schedule and the manager's schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, the makers he is defining as people who do things like they write software or they write writing. <laughs> um, they do, they do what people who make software or writing or things like that would call the work. Um, managers, meanwhile, are of course the people who manage makers. They're the ones who direct activity. They're the ones who are responsible for bigger projects involving lots of makers. They're the ones who are responsible for things like budgets and schedules. And their time is very different. Um, or at least according to Paul Graham, it's very different. Um, for someone on the maker's schedule, often the smallest unit of time that's useful to them, depending on what they've got going on professionally at the time, it could be something even like half a day. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be wrestling with things where it takes them half a day to get anything real done. If you're a writer, you might have a particular groove you don't get into until you've been writing for a certain period of time. You sure. know, to, to get an hour's worth of writing done, some writers will tell you they need two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as a couple of examples, uh, and adding, adding some even further complexity to this and a little bit more difficulty, uh, people on the manager's schedule, you know, you, all you need is enough time to get together and have a meeting, which <laughs> could be 30 minutes, could be an hour. And because you can get your stuff done, those meetings done in that kind of time, and you can fill in the time around it, you know, with things like email and calls that take less than an hour. Dropping an hour-long thing into the middle of your afternoon is no big deal. Whereas if you're on a maker schedule, if you really need a whole afternoon to produce a certain kind of work, if someone drops a meeting in the middle of it, even if around it you still theoretically have two or three or four hours total, because it's in chunks of two hours or less, it's not useful to you. There's certain things you can't tackle, you can't get into. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's one thing I wanted I wanted to introduce, and um, I would also say um, Paul Graham. Uh, a lot of the coverage of this article, uh, the people who blogged about it and discussed it at the time, I remember being kind of negative about the idea of the manager schedule <laughs> and being sort of pro makers, and you know people need to understand what it takes to get real work done, and managers need to knock it off with these stupid meetings. Sure. Um, he's actually fairly positive on on meetings. He's very balanced in this article. <laughs> Even though he's clearly coming at it, you know, with a lot of sympathy for the makers, he's he also says that a lot can get done in a meeting, and you know that really is what a manager needs to be doing in order to produce their work. Um, so that's one side. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention in brief, um, just because it it kind of flies to the other end of the spectrum, uh, although it does so in a sort of cheaty way. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a book called Writing Your Dissertation in 15 Minutes a Day, uh, which has been around for some time. I believe it is copyright 2008. I'm looking that up right now just to be sure. Um, it's a book by Joan Bolker, who uh, is a PhD. Um, she has worked on a couple of dissertations in her lifetime, or at least had at the time of this book. By now she might have eight. I don't know. Um, this was 17 or so years ago. Uh, but she'd done a couple of dissertations. Uh, the first one, something literary. I don't recall the exact subject, but she didn't finish it. The second one, um, in, in psychology, I think specifically around writing related, related topics. Um, I reread this book recently thinking about talking about it in a slightly different way for this podcast. Um, 
But anyhow, the basic premise of the book from the title you would gather is, you know, how do you how do you complete a very large academic project in as little as 15 minutes a day? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's actually not what the book is quite about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, in the I think it's in the introduction, if not, it's in the first chapter. She actually says, uh, you're going to need to write more than that. <laughs> 15 minutes a day isn't going to cut it. Um <clears throat> the the trick is she wants to get you into the habit of writing at least 10 or 15 minutes a day. And in fact, when she gets to the advice on getting started writing, she says start with 10 minutes. It's more gentle. Um, so the title is false in two ways. <laughs> she doesn't think you can actually do it, and she'll start you at 10 rather than 15. Um, but the idea being that, that it's enough to do that every day. Um, in a quick uh, look around the web, I found a couple of people sort of poking fun at this notion and saying, no, you really can't write your dissertation in 15 minutes a day, um, which, which of course, um, the author of the book would agree with, as I just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also got me thinking and wondering how much that is even true. Um, I do think it is true that it is easier to wrestle with certain kinds of problems and get into certain kinds of grooves um, and maintain certain trains of thought uh, throughout more pages or more problems or more whatever you're working mm-hmm. on when you do them in large chunks of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wonder if it's a, if it's a question of organization. Um, as you just said, you can usually find something you can do in 20 minutes. Uh, and I wonder if even in things like writing or making software, if it's also possible to often have something that will fit in even to those smaller chunks of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's always going to be possible to keep decomposing the bigger things <laughs> into smaller. Well, and that's actually the reason I say decompose is because I'm about to talk about software. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say. that's the term used in the, in the book. Oh. Um, not about rotting so, things. No, not about rotting things. Um but anyway, actually, and I'll set the software aside for a moment. Let's, I'll, I'll just stop there for now and, and ask you for your thoughts and what this prompts in your mind. Mm. Yeah, no, super interesting. Um, I'm thinking about how some of this sounds so, so nice and awesome. Um, just thinking about how nice would it be if when you identify that you have a nice little chunk of time you were mentally and physically ready to dive in and do a chunk of something. Um, Mm -hmm. Because what I'm thinking is, even though, and maybe this gets back to the writing thing, the the stuff Joan Bolker was talking about, um, even though I could segment my work, um, sometimes I will, for better or for worse, talk myself out of starting something if I'm not going to be able to do a lot of it in a row. Mm-hmm. For that, and, for that idea of momentum and consistency, and right. I'll mention too um, in uh, in Paul Graham's essay, uh, "Maker's Time, Manager's Time." He also says that will sometimes happen where a single meeting in the afternoon can actually scuttle the whole day because then, in the, even in the morning, he's thinking about that meeting and he doesn't want to start anything too ambitious lest it go into the afternoon and then he's interrupted. Right, or you're distracted at the meeting by what you've tried to start and then you get out anyway and vice versa. Yeah, but it is something that I've been trying to get better at. Um, um, <laughs> I'm thinking of grading in particular. Um, sometimes I will I will view a, a a session of grading as one giant pile of things instead of remembering that I can only work on one student's work at a time. So it's not like I need to think about it as the giant pile. I could think about mm-hmm. it as. Um, 
four piles of five items or whatever. Uh, right. And treat it a little more realistically. And really, I should. It would help me process things better, I think. Um, so here's the other thing I'm thinking of, and I I think there's a name for this. There, it might be a something principle. Um, oh, no, there isn't. I don't know. You, you might know anyway. Um, I'm also thinking about how sometimes it's a benefit for me to not let myself spread something out too widely because the task will expand to fill the time I give it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I thought you were going to go in a different direction or else I might have already looked this <laughs> up and or recalled it. But this is somebody's law. Yeah. Um, ah! This is no, and I've heard rule, it too. rule 34. Oh, my gosh. Uh, um, order 66. Um, wait, cutting wait, all wait. this out. Task expands to... Oh, Parkinson's law. Yes. Work expands yes, Parkinson's so law. as to fill the to time. fill the time. Law. Yep. Yep. Perfect. That's the one. So, oh, I was just talking to my my lovely partner, Billy, about this. Um, if I give myself two days to pack for a really long trip, mm-hmm. it will take me two days to pack for that very long trip. If I And will you do a better job? No. Packing is sort of frustrating and, <laughs> and whatever anyway. Right. As if I give myself 20 minutes immediately before I leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that is just just frustrating to realize. But so kind of like um, it's hard for me to chunk stuff up even when I know that I could and I probably should. Um, One of my coping mechanisms is schedule it for myself in a chunk of time that I know I can do it. Or I mean Mm, like mm -hmm. so, so rather than saying, oh, I have a week to do this pile of grading, what I should do instead is say, okay – these two days, I have a chunk of time between two other things. It is a discrete amount of time. There are boundaries on it. Those are my grading times. I need to get it done in those times. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think that's a that's a very good, I don't know, putting, putting a limit on it's always a good, um, it, at least it's a good test. You know, mm-hmm. even if you're right, even if the part of you that resists that and says, no, I really do need all of this time. Right. Even if that part is right, like it's – you don't really know that until you've tried mm-hmm. to cram it down a little bit smaller. Um, there's a, a book by Julie Morgenstern um, that was originally published as Making Work Work, which I like better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was – when it went to paperback, they changed it to Never Check Email in the Morning. Oh, my. Um <laughs> but one of the things she talks about in there that I kind of like is uh, if you're overwhelmed at work, one way to get more done is to cut an hour off the end of your day. Mm. Um, because it will it will really force you to, you know, if you're working 10-hour days um, and you have any discretion over how many of those hours you're working, right. uh, cutting it down to nine. You know, if you're working nine, cut it to eight. If you're working eight, cut it to seven if you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that if you're leaving work an hour early, you're going to cram probably about the same amount of stuff into the smaller space that you're left with. Yeah. No. Uh, was her idea. Yeah. For once, I actually have an example from an actual office. <laughs> um, hmm. No, and I have before. I've mentioned things from my office experience before. But I'm thinking about um, how the opposite would be true where – I would the the time I was supposed to be there, but in seat would so work against me on some of these bigger projects. Um, for that very reason, I would 
saying, oh, well, I'm here till four. So blah, 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 blah. It's not going to take me that long. I'll just take longer mm-hmm. on this thing because it's a little more enjoyable or whatever. Rather than right. saying, oh, no, this will only take me this long. I will do it now while I'm thinking about it or whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah, that's definitely, mm-hmm. definitely something. I don't know. I'm also thinking about... Um, not not just in terms of cramming it down into a, an amount of time, you know, the, the opposite of Parkinson's law. If it's going to expand to fill the time, you will allow it, you know, allow less mm-hmm. and let it compress. Um, and actually, as I'm thinking about that, that kind of relates to something that I said, uh, what will be two weeks ago when this was published. Mm-hmm. Um, but I talked about uh, when we we're talking about, you know, if you if you have an idea for a, a book or you think you do, but it's actually just an idea for mm-hmm. a tweet. About the way some ideas, you know, if you can get them out in a shorter form, that might really be all you have. Right. Um, I think that might also be true in, in terms of work. Um, but uh, anyhow, in addition to just cramming down, though, I, I also think about um, – uh, I used the word decomposition a few <laughs> minutes ago. Um, and yeah, and I, I do want to say, like, I actually, too, like Paul Graham, am sympathetic to the to the maker's time idea and to the notion that certain things you need a certain amount of time for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've got, you know, a two-hour task on your list that you have to get done, it may, in fact, be a two-hour task, and there might not be a practical way to get that into anything smaller uh, without spending at least two hours thinking about it and working it down into smaller pieces. Right. You know? That's that's definitely possible. I'm sympathetic to that idea. Um, but I also like the idea of at least playing with the notion that we are sometimes wrong about that uh, yeah. and that there are things, even creative things, even writerly, um, programmy, you know, higher level thinking kinds of things that can be done in less time. Uh, if for no other reason than <laughs> because uh, less time is often all you have. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, going back to the maker's time, manager time thing, one one thing that, that uh, Graham nods towards in that essay is usually the people on the manager schedule are the bosses. That's why it's called the manager schedule in his essay. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if your day is a series of meetings and calls, you know, that could be salespeople too. But for the most part, in a lot of places, the people whose schedule runs that way, you know, where everything can be done in these half hour or hour long chunks because they're all meetings – you're probably in charge of other people. Mm-hmm. So you're probably able to impose that time. Meaning if you are the kind of person who is doing the quote unquote work, <laughs> um, who has that, that work that takes a whole afternoon or at least a couple of hours to really get going on, um, you're going to have to deal with the reality that you don't always get it. Mm-hmm. So it's worth at least playing with the idea that you're sometimes wrong. So I guess that's my, my first big thrust yeah. is is, you know, Except that even if you're usually right, it's valuable to explore the alternatives on this because you're going to have to. Right. And, you know, so much the worse. What if you're working from home but you also have a kid? Mm-hmm. You know, there's I've a lot of other permutations besides just bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your colleagues, people who have access to you at mm-hmm. work. You know, there's a lot of reasons why you won't work two hours straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess before I go into my programming example, do you have do you have any writerly thoughts about this? Yeah, well, I mean, not. I mean, it was. A, it's a good guess to ask me if I do. <laughs> good instinct. <laughs> well, you know, you know something about teaching people <laughs> writing, which is, as we've mentioned before, that's one of the reasons this comes up so much. <laughs> no, absolutely, it's something I'm already thinking about a lot, and it's where I'm drawing my connections and analogies. 
Um, no, I'm thinking still about how what you just said, I think, um, gets at something I was sort of talking about. Um, that one of the reasons why I know sometimes I just need to not give myself so much flexibility is because I've been in situations where a rush or some sort of pressure was put on me and I did produce. Right. It did happen. So it could be, I thought I would have four hours of free time before I had to leave for a trip and something happened and suddenly I only had 40 minutes before I had to leave Mm -hmm. the house and suddenly I'm, I'm packing an amount of time. And then I discovered, Oh wait, packing doesn't need to take five days. Like, what do you know? Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, like you said, being open to that can make that less scary if you think like, okay, we're just going to see what happens. Um, you know, and in the in the case of travel, um, the nice thing about, about our modern world um, is that wherever you go, you're probably going to have somewhere that you can acquire the things you need. Um, Mm -hmm. should you forget them? Um, so in that case, sure, there are high stakes to forgetting things I need, but you know what I mean? Um, um, and I'm also thinking about, um, maybe we, maybe we need to think a little bit more about the manager's point of view. Um, not in that, um, there's how should I say this? There certainly are managers who are sort of delusional about what is realistic and what is possible for their teams mm-hmm. to do. I've been in that situation um, where even after explaining what goes into a particular process, um, whatever factor, whether it's time or resources or, or you know, human power available. Um, they still decide, okay, well, I'm still expecting this quality in this, with these constraints. Um, you just have to deal with it and know that whatever the consequences are, it's beyond you. You've explained your, your case, but I mean, even beyond that, um, in addition to there being value in just diving in and see, seeing what can happen, I think there can be value for a leader to do that pushing on purpose to see what can happen. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe the tie to <laughs> what will become next week's or last week's talk um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to when I was talking about uh, I changed the an early step in a project for my students and they rose mm-hmm. and met that expectation. I behaved as if it was perfectly reasonable for them to show up with three sources uh, for a research project that they start completely on their own. Um, and they behaved that way. I acted like it was possible and they behaved that way. Um, so I'm thinking in, and I don't mean that to sound manipulative either. I think it's, it's a psychological response, you know, if we're talking about goal setting and expectations, um, I treated them as if, um, they could do it. And while they might've been scared or whatever, or worried, uh, or angry or angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not only did I have to deal with less of that, ha ha ha, um, (laughs) but they showed up successful at the end of the, of that particular deadline. So many of them were successful and ready to go. Um, so I'm wondering too about the value of, um, putting pressure on others sort of deliberately, um, in that positive way, not in a, I'm being cruel and I want you to suffer kind of way. (laughs) 
Sure. But like, let's see what can happen. Like, wouldn't that be cool if we found out this doesn't hurt? (laughs) Yeah. Again, it's that idea of, of, you know, let's, let's even ask the question if this is possible rather than just saying, I need four hours to make this happen. Right. Right. Um, and again, not to say that you won't sometimes, um, uh, I, one thing I'm kind of, I'm kind of drawn to, um, that actually comes from, um, the world of, of software development. Um, I was, I was remembering a few passages from a book I read uh, a couple summers ago called Code Complete, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think it's a Microsoft press book and it is a, a fairly lengthy book on, on developing software. Um, it's just sort of a collection of best practices. It has a lot of, of actual practical examples written in various programming languages, but it, it's real value for me at least, because I wasn't at the time working in any of the specific languages it was using, mm-hmm. uh, is, is sort of its theoretical overview of what are the best practices and, and how should we think about making software and what are the mental models we can use. Mm-hmm. Um, and one idea, it's not, it's not novel to this book, but I'm just leaning on this book because this book is the one that finally got this idea through to me. Um, and I'm, I'm going to mash several terms together. So apologies to all the actual Mm -hmm. programmers and computer scientists who might be listening to this. I recognize I'm probably not going to be super precise in my language here. Um, but one idea it came back to again and again that I, I think is really important, um, probably in good software design and certainly in designing software that I could actually work with, um, is the idea of minimizing as a programmer, the number of things that you or anyone else has to keep in mind at one time. Mm. Um, and you do this a number of ways. One is, is by breaking things down into as, as small of a pieces as they, they, you know, possibly reasonably can be and still do their job. Sure. So you, you take your overall application that's meant to achieve a goal and you break it down into packages mm. that each, each do a discrete part of that. And then you break your package down into, into, you know, little little sub pieces and into classes that describe individual little software digital objects that are going to interact with each other and then each of those only has as you know the the smallest number of variables that it keeps track of and the smallest number of things it can do and the tiniest number of places where it touches other classes and other variables hmm. and you're always looking to minimize at any given time to work on any given line of code how many other lines of code you have to think about at the same time Um, so they do this in a number of ways, um, concepts like encapsulation, information hiding, um, now I'm getting into the stuff where I'm, I'm going to be kind of using terms pretty loosely, (laughs) but the idea is, the idea is basically like if you have, um, if you have a class in your application that is, is meant to represent the user of the program, you know, that might know about the username, um, and some other demographic data about the user, you want to have the absolute minimum, minimum, uh, places where that touches anything else. You know, you don't, you don't want that class to contain all kinds of actions regarding calendar data. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't want to have to think about how the entire calendar section works when you're writing code for the user section or when you're fixing yeah. a bug in the user section. You know, if a user, if you need to know what the user's permissions are to do things with the calendar, you want to have a single discrete action that just says, you know, the calendar is checking to see if this user has permission to do this thing. And it's a yes, no, that's, that's kicked back. You don't, you don't put like add appointment, change appointment, send invitation, all these, these calendar specific actions in the user. You just check the user to see if they have permission and that's it. Then you're done. Hmm. Um, And all those actions that have to do with the calendar happen over in the calendar. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I'm 
probably not not explaining this super well. But the the core idea is is you don't you you always write the software with the idea of minimizing what what you have to think about at once. Um, now in writing, I don't know that that's always going to apply. Um, if you're spooling out a novel, um, I, I've I've heard stories of people who actually make charts and lists of characters and and outlines of scenes, and they can tell you at any given page, you know, as they're writing it they can look at the structure they've built up and say where everybody is supposed to be, you know, so they have that handled as a technical process. I think more often you're kind of coming to it and discovering it as you go, at least some parts of it. Mm-hmm. You know, some things you've imagined in your mind and you thought through, some things you might have jotted down as notes. You do have your existing text to look back on. Um, more frequently, though, you're going to have to juggle a lot of that in your head. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if for a lot of writing – if if something more like that former process would work better. And one example that, that springs to mind is uh, academic writing specifically, um, you know, writing papers for journals. Um, I'll try to find this. I read a blog post a couple years ago. I wasn't planning to use this for a source, so I don't have the author top of mind. Um, but it was an academic. Uh, I could have been a graduate student, but hmm. someone working in, in research in academia for certain um, who was talking about the way that they were taught to approach writing a paper for publication was to look at it as a series of 40 or 50 paragraphs. Huh. And the, their their task was not to write the paper. Their task was to write a paragraph 50 times. <laughs> which sounds like it's the same paragraph over and over. Um, <laughs> it does. Which some people like, kind I, of do. I will not steal the apple off of the teacher's desk. Oh, I will not steal the yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's barred at the chalkboard. <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, but, you know, they're, they're, and they, and those paragraphs have specific jobs. You know, you need to, you need to, you have to, they have to have an abstract of the mm-hmm. entire paper. Um, you have to have a certain number of paragraphs that lay out the existing literature and the state of the mm-hmm. art in the research. You have to have a certain number of paragraphs laying out your hypotheses that you're going to test. Sure. Um, you have to have a certain number of paragraphs that do the job of describing your method. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and within those, each paragraph has, you know, you, again, you decompose <laughs> into certain jobs. And no one of those paragraphs is probably a two-hour job. I mean, it might be. It depends on what your subject is and what you think of as a valid paragraph. Uh, if you're a manual Kant, then a paragraph might go on for four pages. Um, but even in a lot of the densest research I've read, uh, a paragraph is rarely a page. Um, and you might come back to it a number of times and polish it and tweak it based on what's going on in the ones around mm-hmm. it. But just to bang out a draft of what that paragraph says... Mm-hmm. Assuming you've got all your numbers and you've run all your your you know all the math you need to do, um, a paragraph probably isn't a, a two hour job, and it's certainly not a four hour mm-hmm. job. Yeah, I think for some people, um, doing what you're saying and breaking it down into the steps that you know exist, so it's expected that this this publication. Um, include a methodology section. It's expected that it include this, this, and this. Um, I think some people do like starting that way. What I'm thinking about in my own work, though, is that that type of thinking I usually don't get to until I have words on the page and I'm ready to Mm -hmm. revise or at least step back and see what I'm dealing with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And again, as we've discussed, um, you know, learning and writing are so individual and personal that's not to say oh, that, absolutely. like, I'm totally acknowledging that for some people that is absolutely their most effective way to go about it is 
you mm-hmm. start with these discrete tasks um, and tackle them one by one until you've got a thing and then you revise the thing. Um, for me, sometimes <laughs> I'm just barfing on the page until I see what I have. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've described as well my own drafting process is very similar mm-hmm. when I start out. Um, I mean, I don't call it barfing, but yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I think that helps reinforce that um, writing is messy and a process and whatever. So I, I especially enjoy that I um, – let me, let me ask you a related question though. Then. Hmm. Can you make sufficient mess in a 20-minute window? Oh, yes. Oh, heavens, yes. Um, and for me, with writing and things that are going to be products of some sort, um, sometimes they do start as, um, maybe I'll call it phone barf, where I'm out <laughs> and about, or I'm on the elliptical mm-hmm. at the gym, or I'm uh, in my car, and I ought not to be using a pen and a notebook, Um I will either pull up the notes application or the voice memo application mm-hmm. and I will get an idea down before it escapes me. Um, so it might be a whole paragraph. It might be um, a topic idea for something in the future um, or whatever. But yeah, often it will, the nugget um, that starts a project or gets me going further into it will be mm-hmm. um a very quick barf. <laughs> that <Yeah>. one sounds gross. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think you, I think something you said there um, triggered me. Even thinking about more free flowing or more quote unquote creative writing, you know, something where it's not as regimented as fifty paragraphs to get to a published psychology paper. <laughs> um, I think even there, uh, you might be thinking, well, to write this longer essay that does not have that much structure. I'm going to need to keep the whole thing in my head at once. So, of course, I need to work on it over the course of three, four, five hours every time. Mm-hmm. Or you might be thinking, I, I'm writing a novel dummy. I need to have all these <laughs> variables and characters and plot elements in my head mm-hmm. at once because I, you know. So, obviously, it works better if I do it in four or five or six-hour mm-hmm. chunks. Thinking about what you just said, though, I think a lot of the a lot of that stuff, a lot of the things that you need to, to know at any given time, like to know what needs to go on the page in front of you on your current – page in your novel, it might help to have the entire thing in your head at once, but you probably just need to know what the characters who are right there, right then are doing and roughly what's going on in the timeline if Mm -hmm. something's going to interrupt them. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and I think if you have a good practice, like the one you described of anytime you have an idea, grabbing the voice memo app on an iPhone or grabbing the notes app on the iPhone or on your Android phone, whatever dumb ad supported application that Samsung grabbed on it for you, grabbing that, um, and making a quick note to yourself every time you have one of those thoughts, whether you're working on it right there or not, and then having a good practice of going back and keeping those organized, at any given moment, you're going to be able to flip through those notes and figure out where you're at and and have what you need to keep in mind in mind and just go for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you won't need to, to be reading for 45 minutes what you already wrote and then writing for 40 minutes until you get back into the groove mm-hmm. and then have it all in your head and be able to move forward, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyhow, mm-hmm. I, I think I think that practice you just named answers a lot of the question of how do you, how do you, you know, what if I really do need to keep all that in my mm-hmm. head? Well, you don't. You just need to be good at capturing those things so you can just grab the five or six you need right now right. to move forward. Yeah, because especially if it's – so, again, we are – we're sort of um, 
we haven't said it, but we're talking about when you have an ongoing process that you have time mm-hmm. and space to do this stuff in, of course. Um, right. So that said, um, I think the good move there, rather than becoming paralyzed by, oh, wait, what if I want this character to say something, but this character is actually off doing this other thing, so I can't use them in the scene. Um, I I think in that case, you're sort of paralyzing the possibilities that could happen um, because you're treating a logistical problem um, it's it's going to become a handicap in your your current task, which is right. I need well, maybe maybe a good way to put it is you are you are treating a a theoretical idea problem as a actual logistical problem, right? Like you're letting it keep you from writing the scene that you need to write. Like you are inserting. I liked your word logistics, but what you're doing is you are inserting physical logistics where none actually exist, rather than than seeing like. Well, there's a thousand other things that could happen here and a thousand other people who could say that thing. Um, and probably a lot of ways for that character off doing the other thing to say this thing. You're inserting time and space where you've invented all of the time and space. Well, what I'm saying, though, is because uh, it almost sounds like you're saying you don't need to worry about it. But what I'm saying is that go ahead and write the character in, even if you know that in the world you've created, you don't want them there right then. Um, right. Get out what they what they need to say because then you'll know better on a reread um, who ought to say it. You know, ah, that's not. No, that's so good. I'm saying like just get it out. It doesn't. Well, right. And this gets back to sort of not just messiness, but the idea of failure and mistakes. Like, um, it is <laughs> the failure in that case would be if you let a fear about. Um, an inconsistency keep you from writing the scene that you need to write, that would be the failure. Mm -hmm. The failure would not be if you wrote the scene and didn't realize till you had a first draft done that, oh, wait, physically that person can't be there because of this other thing that happens. That's not a failure in comparison. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think, I think that that goes back again. Like, I think you've, you've, you've really captured it very well. Um, the 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 physical constraint of like what can happen is holding you back when there are no physics and if you're saying just put the person there and and that will give you what you need to move forward you know i i think you are even saying don't worry about right. it or at least don't worry about it right now yeah um yeah and i think that's i think that's exactly that's exactly right like in a lot of a lot of these cases where you're saying i need all of this time to do this thing no you really just need to be able to start moving you know, maybe the big pattern here is like not how much time you need to really do the work. You know, I can't get any work done in less than two hours, but how do you start in less than an hour and 45 minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you at least get yourself moving? Cause then you'll invent what you need. Um, and what you really need is to be moving. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying this well, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Um, what I'm thinking of, though, is in your specific example, what solved the problem is just getting something down and moving on. Right. So if the task at hand is to write the scene in which blank happens, um, if if you are off on a, on a task of going back through the drafts of your other chapters or whatever, um, trying to figure out where this person would have been because you've lost track of them... Um, but it's the part that doesn't matter, then you are sort of self-sabotaging your time. Mm-hmm. When you could right. worry about that in revision. 
or maybe you will remember by the time you're you are revising anyway right right yeah i so i don't know um a, a couple of things i'm thinking about here um it, we're we're probably dragging this novel example <laughs> further than it it's needs to be it's not novel anymore um <laughs> no no it's not um but I guess the two things I would say is, is kind of strategy, strategy points here. I think the, the big patterns to, you know, if you feel you've got this kind of work where you can't get it done in less than X amount of time. The two things I would say, aside from just knowing when you can break it down into smaller things is number one, um, focus on ways you can get yourself actually moving. Mm-hmm. Because a- as I said it, it does occur to me, I think a lot of people's, like, I can't get any real work done in less than two hours, is actually they can't get started in less than two hours. Mm. You know, they they feel like they need to get into the flow. They need to get into a certain frame of mind. And it takes a long time of doing it before they get there. Um, so finding ways to start more quickly, I think, is one thing that would help actually get work done more quickly. Um, the other thing I would say is just thinking, I'm going to lean on the novel example for just a bit longer. <laughs> the other thing I would say would also be, um, maybe you don't think of it as a series of paragraphs with a very regimented format because that's how the journal wants it. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you do think of it as an overall thing, this is a novel and it will be a linear narrative, but it doesn't just have, you know, this chapter that's in front of me now, this page that's in front of me mm-hmm. now. There are other parts of that too. And maybe it's going to take you an hour to think through the scene you're on right now, but is there a bit of dialogue that's been playing in the back of your head that you could use somewhere else that you can get down right now in the 15 minutes Mm, you have? Is there another chapter that you could start? Is there a problem in your narrative, like a plot point that you haven't worked out yet much later in the book that you could spend 15 minutes just barfing ideas on the page, (laughs) to borrow your term? You know, are there other things Mm -hmm. that you could be doing right now that are part of writing, Mm -hmm. you know? It, or or do you literally have to plod through the page on now? And is it going to take two hours to do mm-hmm. that right? Um, mm. And and maybe that's your process. Again, I don't want to say I know the answer for everybody all the time forever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> hail President um, Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> President Walmart. I do want to say um, I I think a lot of people could benefit from recognizing that. They're probably, unless you're on the very last little bit of it, and in that case, you probably don't need two hours anyways because you're at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably another part you could go right that you can find a way into faster. Mm. No, that, that last thread is super interesting to me because I think it's something in principle that I've gotten better at applying. Um, so I'm thinking about, you know, in my various roles in life, um, I might have a lot of different types of work going on at once, due at different times throughout the week, or, you know, I, I need to have certain things done by certain times throughout the week. Um, mm-hmm. But something I've been better about, maybe because I've had a little bit more on my plate this semester, is uh, if I have time that I know I ought to be working on something, but I'm feeling really resistant to the most pressing thing, I will let myself jump to something else. Um, maybe that has a later deadline. So for instance, Mm -hmm. maybe, um, maybe I need to address a couple of emails by the end of the day. It, let's say it's the middle of the day. Um, they need to go out that day. I don't want to do them. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not in the mood to do them. Susan and Beth can just go fly a kite for a little bit because I don't want to talk to them right now. Um, (laughs) um, but maybe I've got, 
um, a chapter of a book that I need to read for class that's coming up in two or three days. Um, Mm -hmm. I've gotten really good and I say good because it's been helpful, good at letting myself go read the chapter for a half hour or hour, um, and then going and having dinner and then coming back and then finishing the emails. Um, and just letting myself sort of be guided by what I feel prepared to work on rather than going in a strict order of what seems most pressing, what ought to be done in what order. Um, and maybe that gets back to the, the amount of time thing too. Um, is that if I, if I leave the emails to the evening, then it's almost like I feel less pressure, even though I'm closer to when I ought to send them out. Does that make sense? That sounds a little backwards, but no, I think it does. But like I've taken, I've taken the pressure off of myself. Oh, so here's, Mm -hmm. here's the explanation. So it's like, I could either sit around for six hours stewing about these emails, or I could make the conscious choice to be comfortable doing something else and enjoy it. Um, and, and feel more ready to do the emails later, right before I ought to do them. So like, okay, it's time to do the emails. I feel better about doing them now. Sure. I I think there's some of that there. I think it might also just be a matter of the fact that you've broken your focus and, and turned it towards something else. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you are, if you're pushing on, I need to do these emails all afternoon, either because you're churning through a bunch of other email and you're in that mode, or just because that's what you're thinking about while you're doing other things, uh, I, they become, they become a bigger thing under your attention. Mm -hmm. Um, you're giving them weight, you're giving them strength, you're giving them reality. Whereas you turn your attention away to other things. You go read the chapter, you go make dinner, Mm -hmm. you break that chain. Um, and instead of being this this boulder you're carrying around all afternoon, they're off somewhere else. They're just emails. And when you come back to them, you can deal with them as just emails. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, uh, I've i got a, an anecdote for this, and I don't think I've told it. I've told you it yet. But I'm thinking about, I think the important thing is once I've recognized what's possible and what I'd like to do, give myself permission to be comfortable with that, if that makes sense. So... Mm-hmm. I, if I was still worried about the email, I wouldn't be able to read that chapter. That's not how my brain works. But it's, but it's like, because I make the conscious choice that like, okay, I'm choosing to switch these things. I'm going to let myself read. And then later I will most certainly tackle the email because it will be time to tackle the email, but I'm going to let myself read and that will be great. Like I want to read right now. Um, um, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a student who, uh, was struggling with um, some pending deadlines for um, programs she might be going on to next year. Um, and she had left a, a certain chunk of these, it was like application materials, short essays, stuff like that. She had left a mm-hmm. chunk of them to about the last minute, so to speak. It was mm-hmm. about a week before all these materials were due. Um, she hadn't started on some of them. It was a big scramble. She needed a lot of feedback in a short amount of time. And, and it was hard to find, of course, because she wasn't giving people notice. Um, but she still wanted to complete this stuff and complete it as well as she could. And so with in talking to her, she was, of course, very upset at herself. Um, she kept saying things like, well, if I had just, and maybe I have told this story, if I had just started them in October, if I had just started them in December, if I had just started them in January, um, 
so, so to get her out of that, I, I tried to talk to her about how, um, she can't help herself even more right now because her past self didn't do that. <laughs> like those, mo- mm-hmm. those moments have passed. October self is so long ago. December self and January self were doing something else and there's nothing else you can do about that part of it right now. Um, but you need to choose to be okay with you have a week and within that week, you only have certain amounts of time and energy to dedicate to this. And if you still want to do it, then you need to get comfortable with what's possible and just say, that is the best I can do with what's left. Mm-hmm. Like anything more than that. And you are, you're probably holding yourself back because you're busy beating yourself up. Right. You're at that point, you're working on a project you can't actually do. Right. So you need to think about what is possible. How good can you get this essay? Shoot for that. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's right. left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier with the, the yeah, I, I can even agree that, yeah, some things you do need two hours for or four hours for, but let's, let's be real. Right. <laughs> you know, you also <laughs> need to be able to do work in less time than that because you're going to often have less time than that. Right. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's a good story. Um, and it's, I think that's, that's a, also a very valuable lesson is, you know, what, what can you actually do? It's very upsetting that you can't do these other things that you really care about, but what can you really do? Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, two things, two things I want to, I want to touch on, um, before we go, before I forget them. <laughs> Um, one is, uh, we've been talking about this. I've at least been talking about this, framing it in terms of like, how can you get something accomplished in less time than you think you need? Um, one thing I want to be absolutely clear on, I'm not advocating for deliberately setting up your workday so you can switch contexts every 20 minutes. Um, because (laughs) there is such a thing and this, this will probably be a whole topic of its own someday on the show, but there is such a thing as switching costs. Um, Mm -hmm. there is extensive literature in psychology and elsewhere about there's, there is a very real, uh, hit you take every time you switch your attention from one subject to another, um, and from one mode of working to another. And that adds up very fast if you do it a lot. Um, and I'll, I'll link to some of that in the show notes as well. So I'm absolutely not saying <laughs> that you should deliberately be changing what you're doing every 20 minutes. Right. I'm just saying it's a good idea to be able to take advantage of 20 minutes when you have it and to look at that as real work time. Even if you're used to thinking of work time as being, you know, two hours at least in a block. Um, the other thing I want to say before I forget, um, I actually want to <laughs> have a tip for people. Um Ooh. Yeah, and I'm going to pull this from that that uh, writing your dissertation in 15 minutes a day book. Um, she has a phrase uh, Joan Bolker does in that book that I like a lot, uh, which is park on a downhill slope, um, <laughs> by which she means mm-hmm. uh, when you leave your writing every day, jot yourself a quick little note um, about what you were thinking at the time or where you want to go next, or make sure you always leave it at a point where you feel you could do a little bit more and you know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than writing, you know, rather than saying to yourself, well, I don't often feel this good about my writing. I don't often feel like writing. So I'm going to keep going until I'm completely out of ideas today and wear myself out. Like, don't do that. Leave yourself, um, uh, leave yourself a little bit, a little bit of, of forward momentum for tomorrow Mm -hmm. and just jot a quick note about where it was going next. You know, leave it where you, where you know you were, um, where you know you have more to say. So that when you come back, it's easy to start again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so again, this is going back to that idea that I, I kind of said and then left of uh, mm-hmm. making sure you're you're faster at starting. 
Um, and I'd say for other kinds of work too, do the same thing. Um, if you're doing something other than writing, but it's one of these, I really feel very strongly, I need two hours to get this done and I want to do it in a sitting. Well, get really good at leaving yourself a little note. Um, if it's a really complicated search of some kind of database or, or other collection, you know, get good at leaving yourself breadcrumbs and annotations mm -hmm. so you know for sure what you're done with yeah. and what you are going to look at next. And that what you're going to look at next is crucial because I have often found even if I'm good at noting what I've done already or what I'm using is keeping a history of what I've looked at already, um, that doesn't always tell me what I was going to look at next. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, park on a downhill slope. Yeah. Um, and that will make the next time you sit down, you're not going to have to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes getting your context back, figuring out where you were, getting back into your flow. Um, leave, leave yourself a little note saying my flow is over here. <laughs> Dang. Um, no, I think it was, um, I think it's at least often attributed to Hemingway that he would leave off in the middle of a sentence so that the next day he would just have to get started mm. by finishing the sentence. Uh, you know, I think you're right, and I think he had a phrase for it, uh, leave a little water in the well, hmm. um, which I was actually thinking of that phrase, and I couldn't remember who it was until he said Hemingway and, and stop in the middle of the sentence. But <gasps> yes, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. Well, go us. Um, Collaboration. Hemingway or, or, or Abe Lincoln, one of the two. Well, since we usually had John Abe Lincoln, we better say Hemingway this time. Fair enough. You think that's good? I think so. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. theoretical idea problem as a actual logistical problem. Right. Like you're letting it keep you from writing the scene that you need to write. <laughs> as you know, I am a physicist and I can, I can tell you there are no actual physics in a novel. Oh my. That was, <laughs> you didn't even go for novelist. You went for. <laughs> no, I did not. I did oh not. My. That was a real reach. That was terrible. <laughs>